Hello from the newsroom of the Financial Times in London. I'm Katie Martin. Today we're looking at the lucrative cannabis trade in the US as more states decide to decriminalise the drug for medicinal or recreational purposes. In this report, Liberty Martin looks at the way America's black community was heavily penalised by the war on drugs and at a campaign to ensure it is able to benefit from the business as its legal use spreads. There is a green rush in the United States of America. 30 states have legalised marijuana, creating a rapidly growing cannabis industry that was worth over $9 billion in 2017. As more states are expected to legalise the drug in the future, the industry is predicted to be worth over $43 billion within a decade, according to ArcView Market Research. But the cannabis industry is moving from black to white in more ways than one. Emerging cannabis business owners are predominantly white. Meanwhile, black Americans are disproportionately arrested for the same thing this new lucrative industry is thriving on, buying and selling weed. The United States' war on drugs policy is the leading reason why black Americans were heavily incarcerated for marijuana possession. I spoke to Dr John Collins, Executive Director at the London School of Economics International Drug Policy Unit, to explain more about the policy. Well, America's war on drugs policy was very much based around the ideas of prohibition and criminalisation and the sense of, well, we have to be extremely repressive on these substances and people who use these substances in order to protect society. Now, what we saw is actually how that played out was that we have to be very strict and very prohibitive on certain communities and how they relate to those substances. And so what's been seen, I think, in the aftermath and in recent years is the war on drugs, how it played out, whether it was intentionally or unintentionally, very much was seen as a war on communities of colour and poor communities. Zeke Edwards, the director of the Criminal Law Reform Project at the American Civil Liberties Union, says the war on drugs targeted people of colour, particularly black people. Several studies, including ours, have shown that despite the fact that blacks and whites use marijuana at comparable rates, black people are almost four times as likely to be arrested for marijuana possession. This is because the police enforce our drug laws unequally. They treat drug use in communities of color as criminal, whereas in white communities they will often treat them as public health issues. And they flood uh, communities of color uh, with police uh, forces and drug enforcement agencies to uh, control those communities and arrest people and put them in our massive 2.3 million people criminal justice system, uh, which they don't do in white communities. And that's led to massive disparities uh, despite uh, similar behavior. Currently, the legalization of cannabis pronounces the racial inequalities between the policing of white people and people of color. So we have a very strange but actually in some ways familiar dichotomy right now in this country, which that same behavior that is lawful in certain states, which happen to be predominantly white states, is criminalized aggressively in other states, particularly states that have much larger black populations. There are multiple barriers that black people face when venturing into the cannabis industry. It is thought that black business owners make up 1% or even less. I spoke to Wanda James, the first black woman to own a cannabis dispensary in Colorado, to find out more. Up until Massachusetts and California became legal, um, most of the states had regulations in place that you could not be an owner of a cannabis business if you had a drug felon. For 800,000 people a year were arrested for drug felonies, for simple possession, and that would have been mostly black and brown people. So effectively, the states have done a really good job of 
ensuring that the number of black and brown people that would be qualified to own businesses can't. While many states have legalized cannabis, the drug is still federally illegal, which means that banks cannot loan money to cannabis businesses. Consequently, marijuana entrepreneurs had to rely on capital or investors, which also disproportionately disadvantages the black community. By not having banking and not having access to capital, that's an issue in all businesses, but it's even worse in the cannabis industry because of the type of money that is needed to open up a dispensary and to run a dispensary or a grow facility or a manufacturing facility. Um, you can't go to a bank, you can't get a loan. There are very few people of color that have tremendous wealth in the United States. And, you know, that's by design. Black people weren't given the vote in the United States until 1964. So we're talking about historical problems. We're talking about institutional racism. And this is the reason why we don't have access to capital. And then you add on the other issues. So black Americans, and especially older black Americans, i.e. our moms and dads and grandparents, they're nervous about telling their kids to go work in the cannabis industry because the war on drugs has done a good job of convincing people that cannabis is bad. So it's been a difficult path to be able to get people of color to expose their children to cannabis from a uh, professional outlet to go get a job in the industry. I spoke to Shanita Penny, president of the Minority Cannabis Business Association, to hear about what can be done to increase black representation in the industry. Well, I'd like to see things done uh, across the industry like variations in the types of licensing. When you have regulations that require that a business be vertically integrated, meaning that they control every aspect of the supply chain from growing, processing, and then distributing cannabis, it leaves a lot of folks out, and not just Black people, people that don't have access to those millions of dollars in capital. Among others, Ms. Penny also believes that those directly affected by the war on drugs should be able to participate in a now legal business. We can ensure that there is participation by communities of color, people coming from communities that were targeted during the drug war by creating equity programs. Those programs give priority. They give technical assistance. We'd like to see financial assistance given for these programs. Additionally, we are focused on decreasing the number of people incarcerated for nonviolent cannabis offenses and also ensuring that those records are either expunged or sealed once a state legalizes cannabis. Because of marijuana's connection to the mass incarceration, Ms. Penny also believes the cannabis industry's economic boom poses an opportunity to use business to redress the harmful effects of the war on drugs. There's a huge opportunity for economic advancement and the creation of generational wealth because of how quickly this industry is growing and just how large the demand for these cannabis products are. And if we aren't the business owners, if we aren't helping to shape policy, those communities will be left behind. And while some communities will be reinvested in, they probably won't be the black community. The state of Colorado has already generated over a billion dollars in tax revenue just a few years into the program. Program. And so with tax revenue that's generated, there's an ability to truly reinvest and rebuild those communities. Before we wrap up, I'll leave the final words to Wanda James. If we were able to go to jail at the tune of 800,000 people a year 
and if our communities have been torn apart by the war on drugs for a plant, we feel like the business aspect should also be targeted and loaded up with people of color. It doesn't make sense that we've just picked up the negative side of this industry. We should be able to be a part of the positive side of this industry as well. That was Wanda James, owner of a cannabis dispensary in Colorado, ending our report by Liberty Martin on black Americans and the cannabis trade. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with more news tomorrow, but in the meantime, if you're not already an FT subscriber, do take a look at our latest offer, which you can find at ft.com offer. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellincat.com.